Hello there. Hello, hello, hello. We're back. We missed a week because we're lame, but we're back. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on. Sometimes you just need a little break. Yep. Whoa, sorry, my cat's got in a fight behind me. <laughs> <sighs> so, how are things? The things are singing, you know. Are you eating vegetables? Yes. Excellent. We have gotten a couple of containers of salad mix. Excellent. Been eating that. Love that. Have cabbage with dinner. So I can't wait to be gassy. That'll be fun. I had two grains. I didn't even have a vegetable tonight. I had meat and two grains. Because <laughs> we got we got fresh corn on the cob, which was the most delicious grain. And then we also had rice. Yeah. Well, but you've been eating like a lethal amount of okra for <laughs> days at this point. So. Yes. And anybody, tomatoes. If anybody has any suggestions for tomatoes or okra, send them my way. Oh, man. What did we have? I we found out that you can roast tomatoes in our air fryer. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that. Well, mm-hmm. Elise started doing that for me. She doesn't like tomatoes, but I love roasted, like grilled tomatoes. Uh-huh. It's my favorite thing. And uh, started making them for me so that we can use the tomatoes that we were given, but in a way that's like not just here's raw tomatoes on a plate. <laughs> I mean, I not that, that I won't. <laughs> yeah, not that I won't eat that. But I had a tomato mayonnaise sandwich the other day. No, so I got I got a tomato and I got these um these bagels that came with like cheese melted on them. Yeah, you were telling me about this. Yeah, for the express actual purpose, purpose <laughs> of making a tomato mayonnaise and bagel sandwich. <laughs> I still haven't done it, but I still have the bagels. Elise has started making in the morning, so she likes to get up and make me breakfast, which is really nice. That is really nice. And Thank you, Elise, for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your service. And um, so she started, she got this idea, I don't know where it really came from, to kind of do like uh, an, a different version of like an Eggs Benny, mm-hmm. but she does it on a bagel instead, and she does like a fried egg bacon lettuce mix and then we were doing um blue cheese dressing on top okay and it was it's so fucking good (laughs) aj would like that he likes a blue cheese i love a a blue cheese he's a stinky old man i love a stinky cheese (laughs) whenever whenever i come visit you guys aj and i are gonna have to go get a stinky cheese board yep and and he and elise can have whiskey (laughs) together yep um but yes, so there's a lot of tomatoes, a lot of okra in my house. If anybody needs some yeah. pickles, you like pickles? I'll send you some pickles. Okra yeah. pickles? Um, the problem, well, I don't know if Elise likes pickled okra or not. I know she doesn't like regular okra, but some people it's like the slimy quality. Yeah, what I have found with the pickles is that there is no slime. No, yeah, there's no slime. It's just pickle. Yeah, <laughs> um, but she's picky about her pickles because she doesn't like cucumbers. So she doesn't like regular pickles, so she assumed that she didn't like any- that meant- that that just meant she didn't like pickles, right? Like anything pickled. Yeah. And then Bobby made us- uh, he went- during the pandemic, they went on this pickling kick for whatever reason. You know, everybody picked up a thing during the pandemic to try to get through it. And, I picked um, up depression. <laughs> well, I, I think most, I picked I think, up even more depression. <laughs> I think a lot of people picked up depression. Um- 
but uh, he made pickled onions, like pickled red onions, onions, and they were so good. I mean, we made those sumac onions that you were talking about, and AJ's like, that is my new favorite thing. Yeah. my new favorite thing. We do sumac onions all the time. Yeah, we make them all the time. We haven't had them in a little bit, um, but we need to start picking up red onions again and There's and actually... Them. Sorry, we need to stop. This, this is a food podcast. Um, <laughs> when you come out to visit me, there is a lady who's always at our farmer's market. She does pickles, and she does a curried cauliflower pickle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is so good. Yeah, my dad... Um, oh, what are they... I can't remember what it's called now. But it's like, it's just a side in, um, it's like Torhani, maybe? I can't remember. It's something like that. But it's it's just pickled vegetables, and it's mm-hmm. just like assorted pickled vegetables. And Dad would just get jars from the store that were just like pickled carrots and mm-hmm. cauliflower and mushrooms and all sorts of different stuff. And he would eat it with just every meal, any meal. He would go and get it out of the fridge and... Yeah. Put it on the side. And this is like a curry. And it's like the, the cauliflower is like super yellow. Like a uh-huh. curry yellow. Yeah. It's so, it's so cool. <laughs> anyway. So this is the Strange and Unusual Food Podcast. Yep. Uh, we're not going to like where this is going after this. So I hope you enjoyed the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 160 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. And we're back after a much-needed week off as minions to the Patreon overlords. Uh, A couple (laughs) weeks ago, they voted to hear about yet another crematory crime. Uh, Actually, it was a split vote, uh, with Roya being my tiebreaker, uh, but I digress. This week, we are talking about a crematory crime. As always, we are on social media. We are on Facebook, what is formerly known as twitter i guess and um i still don't know if that's gone through or not <laughs> oh no it's x on my on my app now on like it's my, not x on mine it's, it's x so twitter on, mine. on mine. it changed this morning uh, as of this recording this morning um oh, and instagram yep uh so you can check us out there and threads yeah we we did sign up for a threads i honestly will i'm gonna be straight up with you i have not looked at threads since i signed up for the threads <laughs> But we are there, and we will, uh, you know, I'll endeavor to, to do my best. But make sure you check us out on patreon.com slash strangeunusual, where you can make your voice heard and tell me what you would like me to talk about the next time. Or Roya, actually, next time. So, with that said, I'm going to tell you the story about David Wayne Sconce. Hope you're prepared. You said that so sinisterly, but that name does not strike fear within <laughs> me. Uh, yes. Uh... <laughs> Wee woo! Uh, mistreatment of human remains, skeevy business practices within the funeral industry, teeth that are pulled outside the dental practice, if you know what I mean. Oh boy. A plane crash. Oh no, actually, I didn't talk about the plane crash, but I, I'll, I'll mention it. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it in there now. <laughs> um, I forgot to put that in there. Uh, mentions of Hitler and concentration camps, along with the horrors that took place there. Uh, murder, allegedly. Y'all, this is a wild one. So let me let me start with a few years ago. I stumbled. I stumbled. <laughs> I stumbled across. You stumbled I, over that I word. Stumbled, I did. <laughs> I stumbled across this meme on. I think it was Reddit. Um, and I was like really curious about it. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because it, it gives away something later. But I was like watching something 
on TikTok and it brought it up. And I was like, shit, I want to see if that's real because it sounds fake. Um, and so honestly, I kind of forgot about it. Uh, except that I, Caitlin Doty, of course, made a video on her cadaver crime series about this uh, a couple years ago. And just a couple weeks ago, Reb Maisel um, did a two hour long episode of um, her podcast, Rebuttal. And for those of you who don't know, um, she's one of my favorite TikTok creators. She is the uh, beautiful attorney who reads the iconic uh, court transcripts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she's fantastic. Uh, anyway, they both cite from an article um, that is on topic.com as their source. So suffice to say, I used that as well as a couple dozen articles from LA Times when putting together my notes. If you're looking for more information on this case, it is a doozy and there's a lot to go over. So here it is. The saga of David Sconce and the Lamb Funeral Home. That's right. Oh, David Sconce. Okay, so Wayne is his middle name. Yes, David Wayne okay. Sconce. I thought Wayne Sconce was like a last name. Oh, no. And I was <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck name is that okay so the lamb funeral home was located in pasadena california it was founded in 1929 by a fella by the name of charles f lamb wait for the distraction to pass hi elise she said hi i had ice cream delivery oh that's nice okay where was i charles f lamb uh who was i'm gonna start that a line over because i really did get distracted by elise <laughs> i'm sorry i did too uh lamb funeral home founded uh, in 1929 by a fellow by the name of Charles F. Lamb, who was at one time the president of the California Funeral Directors Association. The business was housed in this beautiful Spanish Revival style building on Orange Grove Boulevard between a strip mall and a residential area. Just at, where you want it to be. R- exactly. And the brochure claimed that it was, quote, home in every sense of the word. There were sofas and armchairs that made the grieving comfortable. There were even slumber chambers so that families had a place to rest. You know, in case you need a nap while you're grieving. Well, but that's actually kind of a nice idea. Yeah. I mean, especially this is early, still fairly early into the 20th yeah. century. So it makes sense that you're going to have some people who would still be used to like having the body in the house and... Yeah. And going through that kind of stuff. So I could see, I could see where you would want to have space, even just to get away from like the the crowd to go Mm -hmm. to a room you can shut a door to. Especially if you're, you know, not sleeping well at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Lamb was the owner of the Pasadena Crematorium as well, which was built in 1895 and described as, quote, a double oven structure, which will be important later. Uh, and it was known oh among funeral directors as the oldest crematorium this or west of the west. Oh, my God. Hold on. <laughs> OK. Uh, it was known among funeral directors as the oldest crematorium west of the Mississippi. Hmm. Now, keep in mind, America's first crematory uh, or America's first cremation didn't take place until 1876 or modern cremation, I should say, uh, being a standalone brick building, not like the traditional air pyres, uh, open air pyres that would be used by indigenous tribes countless years prior. According to Caitlin Doty, the average U.S. citizen in the late 1800s was not fond of the idea of burning up their dead loved ones. Mm. Um, burning the dead was a radical idea associated with hell and heathens, you know, Eastern cultures. <laughs> um, but there was a group that felt that burning the dead would purify and that cremation was the more sanitary option. Uh, this is kind of before germ theory, too. So Dr. Francis Lu- uh, 
Dr. Francis Julius Lemoyne and sanitarians like him believed that burying the dead would taint the soil and spread diseases like cholera, typhus, and yellow fever, which is not true, FYI. But Lemoyne had a lot of bad takes, like thinking that God never intended for the human body to come in contact with water. Sanitarians, ladies and gentlemen. Like, no. It also solved a problem uh, for people who were eager to develop land. Uh, Fewer cemeteries meant more acreage available for expansion. And of course, the big one, no more vampires. You can't have a vampire if the body's burned up. Fair. Duh. Uh, But that is not what we're here to talk about today. That is another episode, which I will do if you so desire. Um, Holla at me if you want to hear about the first modern cremation. But by the early 20th century, the practicality of cremation was winning out and the sensationalism like surrounding it had dwindled. And now the Cremation Association of North America suggests that 59% of the dead in the U.S. were cremated in 2022, uh, a whopping 74.4% in Canada. But back to the Lamb family. Okay, I have a question for you. Your dad ran a business. Mm-hmm. If your dad, uh, if you were to take over the family business, would you think you would have to buy that out from him? Or would it be like a, here are the keys, keep paying me sort of situation? I think it would be probably a here are the keys you know, just send money my way or here are the keys outright. It's yours now. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's kind of how I thought family businesses worked for some reason. Not having any family in any business. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I always just kind of assume that they say, here's the books, here's the keys. We're retiring. Toodles. Well, I think it comes down to the family too. Yeah. Uh, In this case, Lorianne Lambsconce bought the family business from her father, Lawrence, in 1985, when she was 49 years old, for like $65,000, which is probably a steal, honestly, but I don't know. I don't know how that goes. Uh, but Lorianne was described as having movie star good looks by, get this, a rival mortician. The LA Times described her as, quote, carrying herself with a touch of geniality befitting the family's position in the community, sprinkled her conversations liberally with biblical quotations and wrote sacred songs for her own gospel group, the Chapel Bells, and that's B-E-L-L-E-S. Her father's favorite, she demonstrated a gift for consoling survivors at the mortuary, some of whom gave her money to save for their own funerals. From everything I have heard and read, she enjoyed the work, particularly getting to play salon with the corpses, Uh, and and she was praised for how she comforted families. Like, she was really well liked for that. I mean, that's an import a really important part. Yeah. And that's that's got to be one of the... I mean, I think handling the bodies has to be difficult just because it's like facing your own sort of mortality and everything on a daily as part of your job. And like the state that some of the bodies can oh, yeah. come into. Especially or, like you're looking at kids and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I was gonna say or kids or, you know, different situations like that. I can't imagine that that's easy. But I feel like the hardest part would be the human element of like having to try to work with two parents who were grieving the loss of their child on like funeral service arrangements that they were never planning to make, you know, like that kind of stuff has to be so fuck. It it takes such a special person to be able to do that and do it well. It was my favorite part of my job. I know it sounds fucking sick, but it was my favorite part of my job at the vet. Like I felt like I was very good at that. Mm-hmm. And I felt satisfied with my work when I went home when I was doing that. And that was what mm-hmm. made me consider funeral services as a as a position. But I just couldn't, um, you know, afford more school to do that. So here we are. <laughs> anyway, Lori Ann 
married a gentleman, not so gentleman, named Jerry Sconce. The topic article that I mentioned um, says that she dropped out of college to marry the, quote, charismatic and gregarious six foot, 200 pound football player at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Lawrence Lamb was not a fan of Jerry and thought he was a stupid, worthless, no good, goddamn freeloading son of a bitch, big mouth, know-it-all, asshole, jerk. Wow. You forgot ugly, lazy, disrespectful. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> As I'm reading this guy like talking about shit about his son-in-law, all I could hear was John Bender in my head. So I had to put that in there. So Jerry, who had steady work as a football coach at the local Christian college, decided to quit his job in 1977 to run a sporting goods store with zero business experience. It was sure to go well for him. Just before her 20th birthday, Lorianne gave birth to her first child, a son they named David. And the Sconces became the embodiment of the all-American family. They even modeled for an advertisement for Maytag washing machines. Hmm. Um... It was like a picture of them and a whole bunch of football jerseys behind them. And it said the Maytag that washes for a family of four and a high school football team. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So Topic described David as a, quote, hothead and a creep, (laughs) which we love to hear as we're going into a true crime case. Um, It said that he had sparkling blue eyes and was uh, often compared to a young Paul Newman. He graduated high school and went to Azusa Pacific Christian College in 1974, majoring in business. It just so happened to be where his dad coached the football team. So, of course, he played for the team, the Cougars, um, and he played defense. He had hopes of becoming a football star and playing for the Seattle Seahawks. uh, But there was one problem with that. David wasn't any good at football. (laughs) Womp womp. Uh, And the team lost game after game, which makes me think his dad was also a shitty coach. Uh, (laughs) uh, He was convinced that the losing streak would hurt his prospects to go pro. Uh, So he did what any confident young man born with a silver spoon in his mouth would do when his dreams of football and uh, football stardom are dashed. He worked really hard and he focused on his studies. I'm just kidding. He dropped out of college. That sounds more like it. Uh, Longtime listeners may recall an eerie similarity to the last crematory crime I did, where the tri-state crematory situation, or crematory, if you will, um, where the uh, man in question also dropped out of school and was playing football. Uh, I do not think that these are connected, (laughs) but who knows? Anyway, uh, not only was David no good at football, he was just kind of no good at being a person. When he was a freshman, he robbed the home of an ex-girlfriend as revenge for breaking up with him. Not once, but twice. And the second time was on Christmas Eve while she was at church with her family. And to no one's surprise... Do we know if it's the same girl or two ex It's the same girl. Okay. Uh, to no one's surprise, after he finished the theft, he slipped into church to, like, sit at the service. A little baby alibi for a little baby burgle. Like... <laughs> And then uh, this stupid ass 18-year-old, David Sconce, cried, turned himself into the police where he got a tisk-tisk and a fine because of course he did. Affluent white boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, it's, uh, like I said, having dropped out of school, David and his pals passed their time by egging houses and beating up homeless people. Clearly, David needed a hobby or a job. And so he started working as a dealer at a casino. And then as an usher at a hockey arena, then, again, surprise, surprise, David tested to be a police officer. 
Yeah, that tracks. And he passed with flying colors and would have gotten yeah. in had he it was not dumb and big. <laughs> he would have gotten in had it not been for that meddling color blindness. Oh damn, yeah. Uh, Reb talks about it in uh, her podcast. She breaks it down. Um, it really is kind of messed up to think about how some of the most heinous unsolved crimes have the potential to have been committed by law enforcement. Uh, you know, like you got your Golden State Killer, the obvious one, jo- uh, Joseph, what, D'Angelo? Mm-hmm. There's Gerard John Schaefer, John Christie. Like, even just thinking about the shady shit that we heard about from the Rudy uh, Farias story uh, a couple weeks ago, like, we could do an entire series on cop crimes oh yeah anyway so her point as an attorney was pretty specifically that she had to go to school for four years of undergrad sit for the lsats three years of law school pass the bar exam all in order to be able to practice law right but um, police lead need comically little to be given a gun and told to go out and enforce that law she cites an FBI survey that says the average police academy in the U.S. is about 10 weeks, but the BBC article I read about it says 21 weeks. So in hours, being generous, using the 21 weeks, five days a week, eight hour days, it's about 840 hours of training. You train less to become a police officer, to be handed a deadly weapon with which you are to enforce the law, which which a lawyer needs seven-ish years to learn, less time than it takes to get a cosmetology license. Let's put that in perspective and compare it to Finland's uh, like 5,400 hours of police training. That's like well, three years. Obviously, the more dangerous thing is a bad haircut, Casey. I mean, clearly. Yeah. A bad dye job is ruining people's lives forever. When was the last time a gun ever did that? <laughs> anyway, that's my ACAB soapbox for this episode. Fuck the police on with the show. Where was I? <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. David Scott's being an absolute piece of shit. So in 1982... <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> uh, David is a sad little 26-year-old Nebo baby with nothing to do, and his parents encourage him to go into embalming. Uh, go embalming <laughs> school. Join up with the family biz. I know that it's the family biz, but, like, just the, the idea of just, like, I'm bored. There's nothing for me to do. What should I do, Mumsy and Pupsy? And they're just like, learn how to embalm people. <laughs> But that's not what though, I was expecting, but okay. Look, embalming, that's boring. That's not where the money is at, Roya. David drops out of embalming school, decides he wants to get in on America's new hot new death ritual cremation. That pun was not intended. <laughs> it is certainly hot. At this time, about a third of the deaths in California were sent off for cremation. And uh, it was a practice, as we discussed, that was growing in popularity. California had the highest rate in the country at the time. And that year, Sconce got a license from the Department of Health to operate a crematorium. And he got started. Though his business didn't officially start until 1984, since that was when he actually filed the paperwork. So, the company David started, Coastal Cremations, Inc., uh, by the way, I looked it up. Pasadena is not on the coast. It's like an hour away from the coast. So do with yeah. that what you will. Um, it was an affiliate of his parents' funeral home advertising to other funeral homes in Los Angeles that didn't have access to a crematorium. And it wasn't long before business was booming. Yeah. So how did this loser come into such such success? Well, Coastal was Aside back. from the, the rich parents. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, being white and male. And all the privilege associated you, you with right, that. You're yeah. right, you're right. Okay, but on top of that, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Coastal's services were fast and cheap. That was because David undercut oh, <laughs> the rest of the market by nearly half. He charged only $55 per body where most crematories were charging 100 And so the mortuaries in turn could turn around and charge customers anywhere from 265 to to $1,000 for cremation services, but were only paying 55 to have it done. I mean, fuck, even if you did charge $100 for that racket, they would be swimming in it. Yeah. But yeah, he kept the retorts running around the clock. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were cremating multiple people at the same time. That would be unethical. Whoa. Yeah. So again, beloved internet funeral enthusiast and mortician Caitlin Doty has a video answering several burning questions about cremation where she, not again, that one was intended. <laughs> <laughs> she speculated that a small funeral home with one cremation machine a retort um, could do one to two bodies a day, whereas a large industrial crematory could have several machines and be running around the clock where each machine could cremate three to five bodies daily. The Pasadena crematorium, as I mentioned, was a double oven structure. So if it's running around the clock, you got six to ten bodies out of there a day at best. But Coastal was sometimes putting six bodies in one retort at a time. Was it legal? No. But regs were pretty fast and loose at the time. It was only a misdemeanor in the state of California. So um, regulations were that one body was to be burned at a time. The remains removed, the retort cleaned before adding the next body. As we've discussed in previous episodes, the remains you receive from cremation aren't actually ashes in the literal sense. Um, but uh, remaining bone matter is generally what you're getting that's pulverized in a crematory processor, which is used to grind bones like a fucking giant. Um, Hello. Oh, your water. Yeah. Um, sorry. Grinder to grind the bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But David, he didn't use one of those. Would you like to know how David dealt with the bones? I mean, no, but you're going to tell me anyway. He used two shot puts and a small cement mixer and would sometimes add white powder to make the remains more aesthetically pleasing. And yes, it is the 80s, but I'm doubting David was giving away free drugs. Yeah, I don't think it was probably cocaine. Yeah. Can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> those would be expensive remains. Yeah. Uh, Couldn't so yeah. charge 55 bucks for those. <laughs> Coastal Cremations employees would arrange to pick up a body, transfer it to the crematorium in Altadena, wait the two hours... Uh, that it takes to cremate a body, one hour to burn, one hour to cool the oven, and then bring ashes back to the funeral home. And evidently, no red flags were raised at funeral homes for these services and the cost of said services. Uh, by 1986, his business was worth over a million dollars, which is something for the 80s. Yeah. One journalist uh, named Ken Englade, later dubbed David, the cremation king of California. Gross. Which is funny because now all I can think of because I now made a, a John Hughes reference, is like Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he also had a vanity plate on his Corvette, and it said, I burn for you. I-B-R-N, the number four, and the letter U. Ew. So yeah, yeah. The family business grew. Real talk. Um, losing a loved one is one of the most vulnerable times in anyone's life and for real for real the death industry is super fucking predatory cool glad we had that talk because uh when she wasn't singing gospel music or playing the organ for church mama lamb was in a deal she was a pillar of the community you see (sighs) gross 
at the uh, family funeral home, Lorianne maintained the warm motherly facade preparing the final goodbye. In the midst of all the other things expected of a family to sign away, she would casually get them to sign paperwork, which allowed David to, quote, mine the bodies of their recently deceased for organs. Oh, and if they couldn't be tricked into signing the paperwork, uh, they had no problems forging the signature. Oh, come on. Because it's a felony to take organs without permission. Yeah. They're only doing misdemeanors at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's not that they they clearly don't have any issues with doing things that are unethical, but there are, are some religions and faiths and things like that where yep. you have to have the body together. Intact. Mm-hmm. You know, in mm-hmm. order cremation or burial, or else the spirit can't rest. Like that's part. That's an aspect of some faiths. Yep. And so, like, yeah, that's just that's terrible. Yep. No, I am. I am a hundred percent pro organ donation. If you are, if that's something that you are comfortable and want to do, you should do it. But like, if you don't want to do it, no one should be able to make you do it. That's bodily autonomy. Like that's why yeah. they can't. If I had, uh, I have, if AJ needed a kidney and I was a match, they can't force me to give him a kidney. Yeah. Like, that's why um, overturning Roe was stupid. Agreed. Fuck you. One of the reasons. But yeah. Yes. Um, So anyway. So, so yeah. So they would take organs and then scones. It's not like you're, they weren't selling them on the black market per se. He would turn around and sell the parts to medical schools and like research centers. Um, and in 1985, the family even set up the, quote, Coastal International Eye and Tissue Bank in order to better facilitate trafficking of parts. Former They're employees... not even hiding. They're saying oh, quiet no. part out loud. Yep. 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 They made it official. Uh, former employees later testified in court that in a three month period between 1985 and 1986, the family had sold 136 brains, 145 hearts, and 100 lungs to a North Carolina firm supplying organs for research to medical schools without the informed consent of the loved ones, obviously, because what would Jesus do? Um, <laughs> and and they weren't being paid for the lung. I should say that. They're being paid to harvest the lung because selling the organs wasn't actually on the level. They're just being reimbursed for the, the work required to harvest the organ. Like, that's how it, that's how it went down. Mm. Fun, right? Aren't we having a great time? (laughs) Uh, And the bodies, once they were signed over, were sent to the crematorium, put in cold storage, where he and his employees would, um, trigger warning, crack open sternums with crowbars and put eyeballs into soda cans and styrofoam cups. Yep. Uh, It was also said that he would steal gold fillings and crowns in a process he allegedly called, quote, making the pliers sing or going to the mines and also popping chops occasionally uh it was said that jaws would be locked like you know rigor mortis and so david would force the mouth open with a screwdriver or a crowbar he sold the gold from the fillings and any jewelry that came on the body to a company called gold 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 which was run by one of his friends um and it earned him additional five to six thousand dollars a month he said that people at the gold exchange called him the digger like, what if the person's family came in and were like, we want, we know that they were wearing X ring because they you, always wear the ring. You would take that off before sending them to cremation. Okay. Um, there are, these are cases in which it's like, oh, that was mom's wedding band. She'd want to be cremated with that on. And he was like, okay. hey, fuck you. Like, I'm taking mom's wedding band. Yeah. yeah. Mom had hers um, and grandma too. 
put in the urn after. Yeah. Well, because it um, fucks up the the metal, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So one former employee actually testified that Scons used um, to, he liked to test his strength by heaving bodies in their cardboard boxes around the mortuary, quote, like bags of grain. In one LA Times article, uh, it said, quote, a businessman recalled that David looked him up and down one day and declared him a one-hander. That meant David wouldn't even need two hands to sling his small body into the oven. So I, I hear you. I see your face. And I want to let you know that this next line is going to make so much sense. All of this that I've just talked about, on top of burning so many bodies that David's employees started calling him Little Hitler. Damn. Which I imagine he wore with like some kind of badge of fucking honor. Probably. He's fucked up. Yeah. So retorts, which are meant to fit one body at a time, were filled literally to the brim. Normally around nine bodies per furnace, but employees started to make a game out of it to see who could cram the most bodies into one retort at a time. Generally, uh, you know, five, six, sometimes nine. The record was 18. A witness recalled David Scott saying, what difference does it make? They're dead. So essentially, once there were enough bodies in the cold room, they'd stack bodies one on top of the other like dishes until they couldn't fit anymore. And when things were nice and snug, someone would go to the other side of the retort, which opens on both sides, uh, and then use a pole with a hook on it to grab the bodies and, like, pull them in further. Which, what a great visual, right? This is what you voted for, people. (laughs) You proud of yourselves? The thing that is just, like, getting other people involved, Exactly. And, like, it's so fucked up that, that they're also okay with doing this. He had to have really like knew these people or just like intentionally picked out the psychopaths like yeah what uh, there's no way like i would be there day one and be like "Mm, no i'm calling the cops yeah i'm not thanks (laughs) yeah thanks for the opportunity i would finish the day out i no, like i would finish the day out where he wouldn't get suspicious that i was gonna just turn around and and go to the cops because like he's got this whole cremation situation he's got other people involved well, that i would not i wouldn't be like okay no i'm just leaving now and i'm not coming back i would finish the day out then immediately go to the police as soon as i was off the clock that's probably like, smart the yeah. shit <laughs> Let me, we're not there yet but that's probably smart and we'll get to that in a second oh boy <laughs> Guessing Um, someone didn't do that. So one of the employees later testified that he only could recall a single time that there was a single burn, like as regulations state. The mother of a local attorney died and that attorney insisted on being present for that cremation. And that was the only time he could think of a single cremation. Um, Other than that, after the cremation happened, the cremains were sifted out, bone matter ground down all gathered together in a room called the Ash Palace. It was a huge, it was a room with huge 30 gallon cans just full of human cremains. And when it came time to return remains to the families, uh, former employee Jim Dame testified that they were instructed to scoop up three to five or three and a half to five pounds for female remains and five to seven pounds for male remains. Um, He said he never put ashes from one body into an urn to return to families super fucked up man so uh they're burning like eight thousand bodies a year in just two furnaces he 
this is this is where I was telling you this is probably why it would be better for you to not just quit immediately and go to the cops because this guy hired a group of ex-football players to work for him and he called them his boys. And these employees did more than just ferry bodies across Los Angeles. They ran David's errands. They went after other morticians who David felt like were like competing for his business. So first, there's Ron Hast. He was another industry professional and um, he threatened to outsconce in an industry newsletter that he wrote called Mortuary Management. In 1984, he asked Lorianne to state in writing that her cremations were done individually. Sconce is like, yeah, actually, no, and hires a couple dudes to scare Hast into silence. Uh, they show up at the door dressed like police and has partner Stephen Nims answers the door. Everything called him his friend and his roommate. I'm just another and I read one article where they called him his partner. So I'm just going to assume it's his partner and that everybody else was just in the 80s going gross. That's gay. <laughs> so um, yeah, so he opens the door and these men are there dressed like did you freeze or are you just looking at something? No, I'm okay. looking at something. Uh, you were just like very still and I was like, oh, oh no. sorry. <laughs> so Stephen Nims answers the door. The men dressed like police. Um, they hold up. They had this spray bottle that looked like a flashlight, from what I understand, and it was filled with a mix of jalapeno juice, vinegar, and ammonia. And they sprayed Damn. it into their eyes, hoping to blind them so that they wouldn't be able to identify them later. David Edwards uh, pleaded guilty to beating Hast, terrifying, or uh, and you know and his partner and he testified that sconce had paid him seven or eight hundred dollars to do so and afterwards Hass decided to mind his own fucking business and then we get to timothy r waters who owned a burbank based cremation service called the alpha society according to the la times he had a reputation for honesty but was unpopular among competitors in the cremation trade because he aggressively took businesses or like took business away from them and he knew what david was up to he threatened to out him as well, and from what I understand, it openly uh, started talking shit about David to the businesses that he worked for, telling them that he was doing illegal shit. And David didn't like that. Yeah. So on February 12th, 1985, he sent his lackeys to threaten, see, beat the shit out of, uh, wat wa Waters. Uh, Danny Galambos was a 245-pound ex-football player who carried a business card that read, Big Men Unlimited. <laughs> And he beat Waters bloody and broke his nose. Galambos later pled guilty to assault and testified that Sconce told him to make it look like a robbery. So he also stole, stole, stole Waters jewelry. The problem was, Waters didn't shut up. He even started saying, yeah, David Sconce is doing illegal shit and he sent people to beat me up. Yeah, which was true. <laughs> and mysteriously, just two months after that, uh, that assault, Waters died at his mother's home while visiting for Easter. He was only 24 years old, wow. but he was small or he, he was short rather, and he weighed 300 pounds. So it was assumed it was a heart attack. Um, and the initial um, cause of death was actually determined to be from a buildup of fatty tissue in the kidneys. It wasn't until two years later that it was discovered in a toxicology report or that a toxicology report wasn't done at the time. And so then they ran one three years later after his death and uh the report came back positive for oleander a common oh. and highly po poisonous tree discovered in his system david edwards the one who beat up hast he testified that sconce told him he had dropped something into water's drink at a restaurant and he and later uh sconce's cellmate david gearhart lots of davids here um he uh testified in the preliminary hearing that sconce 
claimed Waters, suffered a heart attack after another dose of poison and said, quote, I know it's from the poison I gave him. As opposed to the poison Ted down the street gave him. Oh, I mean, I, 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 don't, I just put, <laughs> I put the, the emphasis there. Yeah, but it's still like, I hope it's I know from, it's from the, the poison, poison I gave him. I gave him. Like, not like, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> on the morning of Sunday, November third, 23rd, sorry, uh, 1986, the Altadena Crematorium burned down after employees tried cramming in a record 38 bodies into the three foot. Jesus Christ. Three, five. Oh my god. 3.5 feet high, 4 feet wide, and 8 foot long retort. It was a new record. Uh, employee John Halliman, Hallinan said that he had to break the leg off one body to get it in. And that might have blocked up the chimney, which started the fire. But don't worry. David had another facility scouted out in uh, Hesperia, I think is how you say it, uh, where he told locals he'd be running a ceramics studio called Oscar Ceramics. So he didn't even need a crematory license to operate anymore because now he's doing ceramics sure ceramics that they would be producing panels for nasa's space station project sounds like some elon musk shit right yeah uh instead he cremated bodies in a diesel fuel industrial size ceramic kiln basically picking up right where he left off and this is where the plane crash thing came in because there was a plane crash that happened and there were like 800 bodies that needed to be cremated and all of those were sent to david Gotta cut corners where you can. No. <laughs> so then, just two months later, after this operation opened up, uh, Assistant Hesper oh my god, Hesperia Fire Chief Will Wentworth got a call from a neighbor complaining about this noxious black smoke coming from the warehouse, and he thought it smelled like burning flesh. Wentworth kind of shrugged off the suggestion and was like, nah, that's a ceramic shop. And this neighbor said, don't tell me they're not burning bodies. I was at the ovens at Auschwitz. Oh, shit. This neighbor had been a World War II veteran who liberated Nazi concentration camps and knew what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. He literally smelled this he exact thing He literally smelled this thing. So on January 20th, 1987, Wentworth drove out to Oscar Ceramics um, with two, like, funeral industry investigator types. Uh, and they opened one of these massive furnaces and a burning foot fell out. The interior of the warehouse was caked black with the accumulated blood, uh, like bodily grime. There were trash cans brimming with human ashes, prosthetic devices, anything you could think of. Um, and his shoes, it was one of the most like visceral things I got out of this was that he said his shoes stuck to the floor because of how soaked it had been with decomp fluids. Ew. So suffice to say, the proverbial jig was up. God, how are people not smelling that before? They did, but we're like, oh, it's a ceramics thing. I guess ceramics smell a lot like smell human really bad. Yep. So Sconce was slapped, of course, with a litany of charges. I think it was like 67 charges. He had multiple counts of mishandling and unlawful disposition of um, human remains, including 28 counts of unlawful removal of body parts from human remains, three counts of mutilation of human remains, two counts of multiple cremation of human remains, two counts of commingling of cremated human remains etc etc um he had assault by means likely to produce great bodily injury robbery theft bribery of witnesses conspiracy related to various of the foregoing charges solicitation of perjury and solicitation of three murders what that's that's right (laughs) 
Oh, and just side note, in May of 1988, while he's in prison, a pile of charred bones, teeth, prosthetic devices, all were found in this crawl space beneath the house that David had been renting until early 1987. It was discovered by the current renter of said property, who was just a furniture salesman living his life. No, I can't imagine. No, I can't. I don't want to. God, I'm always like so afraid that I'm gonna be like out somewhere and be the person that finds a dead body. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just, yeah, no, I'm I think about on... it all the time. I I see a like, I see a trash bag on the side of the road. I'm like, what if that's a body? <laughs> oh my god, I do the same thing. Or like, what if, the other one that I jump to is like, what if that's like abandoned puppies oh, or something in yeah. that box? You know, like yeah. or or kittens or something. Like, should I pull over it and see what's in the box? Like, but what if it's a head? Like, yeah. <laughs> what if it's, what if I'm actually in the movie Seven? Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm Brad Pitt in Seven? Oh, gosh. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, authorities, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> authorities, <laughs> authorities spent two days filling boxes with bones, dentures, bridges, bits of skull, pacemaker wires, and... A soda can packed with molars. Why'd you keep that, like you David? Do. Why'd you keep that? For fun? So, in 1989, while in jail waiting for trial for all this bullshit, Sconce was charged with a murder conspiracy case for conspiring to murder Ellie Estefan, owner of the Cremation Society of California. I know. You thought we were near the end. And here we are. No, it's okay. We are. But allegedly, <laughs> uh, Sconce had asked a crematory employee to murder Estefan, the estranged husband of Sconce's brother-in-law's girlfriend because she wanted his $250,000 life insurance policy. Like, excuse. I think that he, that she was talking about it in the podcast and I don't get into it a whole lot because she talked a lot about conspiracy and what makes conspiracy and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't want to go into that. We don't have an episode of baloney or segment in this episode. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I talked a lot about conspiracy in Lori Vallow. I feel like you should know that by now. Um, but uh yeah so so basically she mentioned there was a fight she mentioned the insurance policy he probably got money signs on his eyes and was like let me help you out yeah yeah so then in 1990 capital murder charge came up uh filed against sconce for the murder of tim waters that charge was unfortunately eventually dismissed after three separate toxicologists including dr frederick Reiters or readers i don't know how you say it uh, he was one who testified in the O.J. Simpson case, uh, but nobody could agree if it was actually oleander poisoning in Waters' blood. That didn't stop Sconce from trying to solicit the murder of the prosecutor for that case, though, which is fucking wild. Just in prison going, hey, you know a guy I could call? You know how to get somebody whacked? But that's a cishet white dude for you. <laughs> Thinks the world owes him something. Uh, so then he got charged with soliciting the murders of the prosecutor. Um Deputy, Deputy District Attorney Walter H. Lewis, and and get this, there was a there was a conspiracy that he was trying to kill his grandparents, Lawrence Aww. and Lucille Lamb. A uh, prosecutor said that he wanted to kill his grandparents so that his mother could inherit the business because she was forty nine, so he wasn't like some little kid at the time, right? Yeah. But uh, I don't, I didn't see anything where that went. I there was a bunch of shit that got dropped, unfortunately, which I'm gonna get to in a second. The trial court judge. For this, for this trial, Judge Smurling, who Reb, <laughs> by the way, called the biggest idiot of all time. And you will see why in a moment. 
negotiated a plea agreement without the prosecutor's agreement in which Sconce would plead guilty to just 21 of the charges in the funeral home case in exchange for a five-year sentence. What? He set aside the charge for murder conspiracy on the theory that he had withdrawn from the conspiracy. But, like, that's the reason why it's a murder conspiracy and not murder. So, this is kind of what she talked about in the podcast, and I will... um. I will make a note for you to link that. Um, She talks about how in a murder conspiracy, if you withdraw, the justice system wants to um, pat you on the head for withdrawing, basically. But you have to withdraw before there is an over at. So, like, you and I could sit here and kiki all day about, like, let's let's kill my boss. (laughs) Like, I'll give you $20 to kill my boss. Um, But unless I actually go out and, like buy us road beers to go and kill my boss or like send you the address to go and kill my boss for me like no overt act has been committed and so we can't be tried for conspiracy at least in the state of california um i don't know how other states work necessarily but that is kind of like the idea of conspiracy but if you before that overt act takes place say i'm so out of this you guys are dumb this shouldn't be done that's withdrawing from conspiracy and let me just tell you David not only did not withdraw from a conspiracy, he was the one who committed the overt act. So that did not. Who even is this judge, right? So he said if these counts of the murder conspiracy were returned to the court, um, he would uh, impose no additional jail time, but probation. So like you have this, you have the five years for the funeral home charges. But if you have to come back to court for the murder conspiracy, we're not going to give you more jail time. We're just going to give you probation. Is this your first day? Who gave you who gave you the fluffy wig? Like, get the fuck out. Because he's a white dude. And so if he David were Scons, anything else, if he were anything if else, he was anything else. David Scons, listen to this shit, served two and a half of his five years after pleading guilty to 21 charges. That order got reversed. The prosecutor got an order to disqualify Judge Merling. Thank God. Um, but it went to uh, federal court and they were like, so so sorry so he gets they disqualify the judge saying you don't have the authorization to make a plea bargain that's outside your jurisdiction period yeah but then sconce appealed that and it went to federal court so ultimately it was decided in 1996 that even though the the judge lacked the authority to make that deal if the prosecutor really had such a problem with the ruling he should have filed the order before the sentence was served like they had the time he was in jail it was prejudicial delay and like he was he was sentenced in 1989 or 88 and they didn't get this to federal court until 96 like that's a problem so it was a big mess he basically got a slap on the wrist for destroying the lives of well over 8,000 people like families of those 8,000 people rather yeah Um, and in night uh april 1992 the parents were on trial and the attorney argued that it was all david's fault David did this. He did it without the permission or knowledge of his parents. And those people threw their son under the bus. <laughs> that also got into a big legal mess, but they were eventually convicted uh, with 10 counts between the two of them for unlawful or uh, unlawful authorization of the removal of eyes, hearts, lungs, and brains from bodies prior to cremation. But they only got three years and eight months in prison. Mm-hmm. As for David, he would return again and again to court with new charges, with new parole violations. In 1994, he was found guilty of selling fake bus tickets in Arizona. Uh, in 1997, he pled guilty to a 1989 charge of soliciting a hitman to murder a potential buyer of a rival funeral home. He admitted to one over act and was given a sentence of, get this, 
lifetime probation in California. And he's yeah, he was the fucked up thing is it wasn't like he had to stay in California for the rest of his life. He was jet setting all over the place. He was doing whatever he wanted as long as he yeah. checked in with his probation officer. He was basically just free, um, except for that he did violate his his parole probation uh by stealing a neighbor's rifle in 2011 in montana he's just chilling right all this time he's out of jail in 2011 he gets brought in on the charge of stealing a neighbor's rifle he's not supposed to have a gun because he's on probation he's probably not supposed to be in montana so he's extradited to california with four felony charges his probation was revoked and on may 6th 2013 he was finally sentenced to 25 years to life on that murder conspiracy charge on the singular one instead of the three instead of that he had already yes instead of the eight thousand plus bodies he burned and fucked with on top of all of the other charges from the funeral home the murder stuff it was just one murder conspiracy charge for elias stefan he got 25 to life uh and he was incarcerated at mule creek state prison in ion california i was trying to, some one website i saw said that he was up for parole in 2022 and uh i couldn't find whether or not he got that parole or not so who knows he might be out and about i looked on the uh california inmate locator website and his name was not coming up so i don't know i will let you know that six law firms filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of the relatives of 16,000 decedents accusing 100 mortuaries of sending bodies to sconces, um, funeral home, and crematorium, despite indications that something was wrong. So clearly people knew. Like I said, we had Hast and you had Waters who, who knew something was up and were letting people know and were getting silenced. But man. Yeah. I mean, it would be, gotta it would pinch be one those thing. pennies, right? Yeah. It would be one thing if they were sending, like funeral homes are sending the bodies to the crematory without having any any indication that something was wrong right then like yeah that's definitely not on them but if you have another a competitor who's actively able to give you details and information like yeah it's a competitor so you know a little bit of a grain of sand on it but when it continues oh yeah and then you hear about like suddenly one of the one of the people gets beat up after talking you know like Stuff starts adding up if you're paying attention to it. Also, like, if somebody tells you they're going to sell you a car for $8,000 when you know that that car is worth $16,000, you're going to start asking, what's wrong with this car? Yeah. So, that's all I'm saying. It's like that Critical meme thinking I shared. Skills. That meme I shared in, in, I think I did it in my uh, Twitch Discord of, like, the mansion in... Ohio that's oh, for yeah. sale for like 250000 and someone's like, yep. what's wrong with it? It's, it's in Ohio. In Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, but it's yeah. like, how many people died in this car to make it $8,000 instead of $16,000? Right. Or like, what, what parts did you take out of this car that I'm gonna find out, you know, what are you doing? What's what's wrong with it? That's, yeah. that's the end of it. It like, should have been somebody saying like, hey, I would like to understand, like, I want to come see your facility to understand how, like, what are you doing differently to be able to charge so much less? You know what I mean? That's a trade secret. We can't, we can't tell you that. Then we can't deal with you. Well, and there were also, uh, so within the state of California at the time, there were only two, I think that's what they said. It might have been Southern California, but it was like, there were only two investigators at the time for the, like, we come and make sure, like, 
we come and do the inspection on your crematory. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just saying, like, as a funeral home director, I would wonder why why is crematory A saying that the the lowest they can do for this is a hundred dollars, but that crematory B is saying, you know, coastal crematory is saying we can do it for fifty five. Well, so what I'm are they doing differently? These when when the inspectors did show up, they were turned away. And like you'd think, I need to go back. Yeah, to that's that place. a problem. I need to yeah. come back here with the police. Yeah, like you shouldn't. That's like a restaurant saying, like, no, come you back. You can't next come in week. here, health inspector. Like, <laughs> you know, come come back in a week. God, I where, just have... where we can get rid of everything that's spoiled and bad and and clean everything. You know, like that's not how it works. That's not how inspections work. My fellow former and present uh, Starbucks barista probably just got triggered over Quaza. Like that was the scariest shit. These Quaza people would come in. I don't. It was quality something and something something, and they would come in and like just. Oh my gosh, it was like terrifying. You're like, please don't, please don't ruin my life. <laughs> the manager's gonna blame me. Like. But, but yeah, like, that's the whole point, is that they're supposed to... It's like, uh, you hear about secret shoppers. Oh, yeah. At, I you know... I know, I, I'd love it. I'm but, like... Secret shoppers. <laughs> at, at Targets and Walmart and thing like that, things like that, and you don't know who they are. It could be anybody. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. That's the whole fucking point, is I'm that it can happen shopper. anytime. And I'm gonna whisper the whole time. <laughs> I'm <a> secret shopper. <laughs> but, yeah. I wonder how you get into that. I don't know. If anybody knows how to make us secret shoppers, give us, drop yeah, us a line. I would love to. I like to shop and I'm nosy. Yep, me too. <laughs> but that is the story of David Sconce and his bizarre, that's, that story was just so bonkers. Yeah, it's really just all over the place. So, yeah, so the meme that I saw was the, the they found out because of the neighbor who had smelled bodies at Auschwitz thing, right? And so I was on Reddit and I was reading about this and people were like, oh, we think that's fake. There's no, like, actual article that talks about this. And then the LA Times was like, no, this motherfucking fire chief is quoted saying that in the LA Times. And yeah. I was like, people have read it. <laughs> literally get your shit together it is right fucking here well i mean i get it's like one of those things that's almost like too extreme sounding to be real yeah where it's like you talk about like you see a post about like some some mom of a kid whose kid like told her you know oh my god thank you so much for bringing me into this world and i love you so much mom and thank you for all these incredible things and giving me the best education and like your your three-year-old did not say that yep like (laughs) Although, although that one that you sent me of the the kid taking a picture of his mom and going, "Isn't she beautiful?" Oh no, it was, <laughs> I was so like, oh, cute. My God. <laughs> it was so cute, and the little I like he's kids with accents because he's <laughs> yeah, so he's cute, British boy. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I hope that was good for you. <laughs> it was something for me. It was something. It was fucking bananas, is what it was. Yeah. I love these roller coaster ones. They're just like, <laughs> how much weirder can we make this case? <laughs> what additional things can we add? Um, but thanks for joining us today. Um, we hope you were able to follow along with this absolutely bonkers crime. And we want to hear from you. Send your stories, your questions, and your feedback to strange unusual podcasts at gmail.com. If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put... Yeah? If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. The Do you 
were you a family affected by coastal crematory <laughs> oh gosh i was watching the caitlin Doty video and that was like the top comment was my father was lost to this oh god like, i was like oh my god <laughs> jesus christ i'm so sorry i'm sorry yeah, so super rip to the to the, the victims of this crime, by the way. I yeah. meant to say that at the end. That was some gnarly shit. Yeah, I mean, both alive and dead. Like, yeah. Yep. That's so unfortunate. And, like, to have your, you know, jewelry that was intended to be left with you and things like that. Like, that's... It was intended to be left with them because it was meaningful. Yep. You know, like, it was... It had a purpose to being left with them. And, like, you know, like I mentioned, the, you know, certain um, religious practices and beliefs. I mean, I even know some Catholics, like, have to have everything together and has to be cremated, all the same thing. Like, all sorts of specifications and things like that. And there are Eastern religions that are even more specific on how cremations have to be done or how burials have to be done and things like that. So, like, you're not just... Whether or not you believe in that religion... Should have no bearing. Yeah. yeah, it's not you. You're not burying you. You're burying another person who has this belief. And, mm-hmm. like, that's that's an aspect of your job that you have to accept and deal with. Like, as long as it's not... As long as the request isn't something that's illegal or dangerous for you to do, like, you have you, you should feel obligated to do it. It's in, it's in the profession, you mm-hmm. know? But it's not like these guys were professionals, so. Not like us. <laughs> Professional <laughs> podcasters of food and crime. And movies. And Oh yeah, I did I did quote a movie. Yeah. Twice. Quoted, quoted a couple of movies. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are interested in more of that bullshit, you can find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on the app formerly known as Twitter at underscore strange unusual at calamity casey and at roy rampage we're on facebook search for the strange unusual podcast look for our little symbol or our little little logo uh we're on threads too again we are starting up on that i should probably download the actual app for that maybe i did (laughs) i don't remember and don't forget roy's twitch stream stuff twitch.tv slash roy rampage where she is streaming rather regularly yeah trying to uh, of course, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, I made sure to write it down so I wouldn't forget. That's how much I love you. I love you too. Even though you forgot me that one time. That one time, <laughs> yes. That one time you're never going to let me forget. Correct? I will never let you forget because you forgot me. <laughs> uh, if you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Trade of Usual, um, where we do stuff like this once a month and we ask you for your input and ask uh, what you would like to hear from us. We have a Discord, a Patreon exclusive Discord, where we post dank memes. We've been talking about Barbies late- a lot lately. That's been fun. Yeah. Uh, we still need to see the movie. Still need to see the movie. Uh, we were doing watch parties for a while there. We're going to be doing a Patreon exclusive coming up here with the James and Elena story. Uh, we got some other exciting things planned, guys. So join us over there. It's just $2 a month. But if you cannot afford $2 a month on Little Ola, then we do ask that you would please rate, review, subscribe where you can. Uh, five stars will always get a shout out and a read on air, even if it's mean. Even if it's crude, unless it's racist, I'm probably going to read it. Like, unless you're out here 
throwing slurs. We're, we're not reading that. Let me but double you can, check. You can say, man, I hope these bitches are on birth control. Five stars. Like, we would read that. I am. Which is <laughs> better for the world all around, to be honest. For real. Nope, no new ones. <sighs> Same two one stars, though. Aw, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fuck you, Mr. Binky. <laughs> <laughs> Our nasty divisive attitudes. But yep. you kept listening long enough to come back and edit your review again yep. to something different. Thanks for that. <laughs> anyway, bye. Bye.